You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 129. I am one of your normal hosts, David Lyons, and because Mike is still absent this week, I have with me... Uh, an unnormal host. And and a completely <laughs> abnormal host, uh, Matt Duncan of uh, a little bit of uh, Bits and Pieces fame. So we, we're now... We're, <laughs> if, if Mike just continues his absence, I think I may actually get to talk to everyone on the network. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I do want to actually take a second and, uh, and, and, and promote a little bit what he's doing. He's actually not here, not because of his ridiculous desire to live outside of the state of Colorado. He is not here this week because he's at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, which near as I can tell has nothing to do with comic books anymore. It's, well, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> comic book <laughs> movies, maybe, uh, comic book cartoons, but, uh, he, if you remember way back, and I, I will try and find links to all these episodes and put them in the show notes, but uh, way back, uh, we talked with uh, his brother, Justin. Uh, he, Mike and Justin, wrote a movie called Detective, 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 and they actually got it into San Diego Comic-Con. So they are they are there. Um, actually, as of this recording, they just had their airing about seven hours ago, maybe, give or yeah. take. Including a panel. That looked pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's like, isn't that the dream of doing nerd things? Is that you get to go to Comic Con and have people nerd out and tell you how great you are? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there'll be a link to uh, the movie. Uh, you could buy the movie. You could buy the soundtrack. They're both out um, on services now, and uh, I'll find links to the episodes uh, where we uh, we actually interviewed Justin. Uh, Mike and Justin talked about it. Um, on the pseudo show as well. So I'll find links to all those things and throw them in the show notes. But do check out the movie. It's very, very funny. And if it got into Comic-Con, come on. It's, it, come on. Yeah. You, you know it's good, right? That That's a badge yeah. of approval. And it's, I believe, on all the usual platforms by now. So digital distributor. I think that's the reason why they got in there. They, they found a distributor for all the movie. So now it's official. Now it's big. <laughs> <laughs> they crossed the, whatever the imaginary threshold is of, of, your movie is quality. Um, but yeah. be- before we jump into the show proper, uh, can you tell me what happened with Skype as we were trying to get set up? <laughs> so we had some uh, issues with my internet connection and uh, David's Skype kept crashing. And so we were briefly in a call and the call dropped. It dropped me back into our chat stream on Skype. And what I found there was... Um, that Skype actually has injected a promotion or an ad or something. It, it's more like a promotion. It's from themselves uh, into the chat stream. Uh, it says here, like, we'd like to give you unlimited squared calling free for a month. And yes, there is a tiny, tiny two up there. I assume that's the <laughs> branding of a, of a two, not like a footnote. There's some uh, some terms in the like below that that I have to read. But now it's in there right in the middle like how far can we go please don't do this skype stop <laughs> stop it stop it <laughs> they uh they're in such a weird position the skype developers because 
they know that they have the best product on the market, even though their product is kind of not great. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's debatable. Is it the best product? I mean, I, I, I've been trying to use some... Um, so there's this app called Discord, which is basically a mix of TeamSpeak and Slack. Um, sadly, I haven't been able to use it much yet. Um, but as soon as any other of these competitors who do similar stuff add video calls that are stable, like why use Skype anymore? I mean, we've been trying some um, WebRTC apps like Appear In and, and MeetSpace and all that. They worked fine. I mean, they weren't always the best quality. But I assume you can tweak that somehow. It's just, I mean, Skype has this grip on the market. Skype is big. Everybody knows Skype. I think almost everybody has Skype installed, even if they don't use it. Uh, but just on a technical level, they're not, they don't have to be the best. So uh, I think it's mostly marketing. And yeah, they are using that to full extent, obviously, by just putting promotions right into the chat. Well, <laughs> the funniest thing is that they are promoting the Skype call right after it crashed. Yeah, the, there so, should hey, be... Hey, that great experience you just had. You want to have more of that? There, there should definitely be some, uh, if an error report was just generated, don't show this ad in the chat. Like, just a little, little, little if this, then don't kind of uh, logic built in. Um but th my problem with all of these, and we don't have to make this about Sk a whole thing about Skype, but <laughs> my problem with all of these competitors and with Skype is uh, for what we're doing for podcasting, um, call quality is fairly important because we actually do a double ender, so we're not using the Skype track. But call stability is the thing that matters most. And WebRTC, I feel like, is... I have just enough more trouble with it than I do with Skype that I still yes. prefer Skype. Yes. So it's I'm yeah. I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting for them to to dethrone the king. Um but <laughs> we have um a few things on our our show doc here and the first one I, I wanted to ask you about particularly uh it kind of worked out that you were you were guesting cuz I think you have a different position on this than than Mike would actually. So, uh, ha, ha you are being replaced, Mike. Um, <laughs> I, I had two stories happen to me back to back. Uh, neither of them particularly remarkable, but they made me realize that uh, I think normal people believe the internet is permanent. <laughs> and when I say <laughs> normal people, I really just mean basically everyone. Um, I even, when reflecting upon my own life, noticed that there are places I make this assumption. So when I say the internet is permanent, uh, use Google Drive. We're actually using Google Drive right now, right? There's uh, Dropbox and Office 365 and, and uh, Backblaze and CrashPlan and Amazon S3. And there's just like 100 million different backup services or hosting services or document services and they all want you to believe that your stuff is safe with them so the two things that happened to me is one uh, i got into a uh, discussion with a colleague that uh, they this colleague was basically asserting um, tech companies like lie to people and say that everything on the internet is safe forever and i was like no they don't do that 
And this colleague was like, <laughs> yeah, if you look at a lot of their wording and their messaging and their marketing, they totally kind of do. And, and they were right. A lot of companies are like, no, it'll be safe forever in, you know, our storage service. And then the other thing that happened, and I'll, I'll throw the link to this, uh, this article in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash one, two, nine for episode 129. Uh, this guy, uh, this artist and writer, um, he had a blog spot and he woke up one day to find that his blog spot blog was gone. So he lost access to his whole Google account. Uh, once a blog spot is deleted, there's, you know, a lot of, Oh, we can't possibly do anything to recover it. And all of his artwork and all of his writing that was on there, uh, the vast majority of it was not backed up anywhere else. It just lived on that blog all gone. Um, how did you, how, how did he allow this to happen? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like anything I have that I consider important. I have in half a dozen different places. And the reason I, I wanted to get your opinion on this is because I realized that what I consider important is mostly like photos of my family and small size documents like tax related documents, uh, health and home related documents. Those things are all really small and trivially simple to back up. You are a musician and you produce videos and you have these giant audio file projects and uh how do you handle all that <laughs> i try not to think about it too much <laughs> um no i actually do think about it a lot um so the thing is what is really important to me to have backed up is also a ton of documents which are very trivial uh, most of my work stuff, which is basically code, lives in a Git repository um, on uh, Bitbucket and my desktop and my laptop. So that's three places already. Uh, one of them offsite. Uh, now, the, all those big files, audio isn't even that much of a problem. I mean, audio is, I would say it's like mid-range. Audio isn't so much of a problem Um even if it's uncompressed wave files, like that gets handled fairly easily. Um, the 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 files that are the biggest and that keep me from being completely backed up ever are the video files actually. So right now I've got my backplace control panel open. So uh, selected for backup, it says so I've got uh, 950 gigabytes of stuff uh, to back up, uh, and it's. It has already backed up 775 gigabytes. So that's about 86 <laughs> left. And those 86, it always hovers around 100 gigabytes that are left to upload because it's every week I get a new dump of video files from Lars to, to edit together for his YouTube channel. And it bumps that number up again. And I can never <laughs> get it to 100%. So it says that you are backed up, backed up as of uh, 16th November of 2015. And that's a lie. Oh, oh no. It's it's not technically a lie. Around November, I cleaned house and got rid of a lot of videos, like a lot of the raw video files we knew we didn't need anymore because the video is uploaded. We got the final render. There's no need to keep the five hours of video files. <laughs> uh, and that's also the thing that for a, a video that's about 10 minutes long on his YouTube channel, the raw footage is about five to six hours. And that's uncompressed. No, not uncompressed, but that's... Uh, 
yeah, pretty high definition uh, MP4 files. And yeah, I I just I'll never have all of that backed up. Um, but that's not too bad because those are the raw video files that when we've uploaded the video, I don't really care. I keep them for a few months. And then every few months I say, hey, I'd like some of my hard drive space back. So uh, either he dry, uh, buys us a new hard drive to back that stuff up or I just delete it. I just get rid of it. So you do back up the the produced, finally edited, ready to go yes. version. Yeah, that's that's already uploaded somewhere on 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 Blackbase. It's on YouTube. Although downloading it again from YouTube is obviously there was another encoding process between that, um, and it's just on my hard drive. Yes. Okay. So the 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 Backblaze part of that is I think what makes you cross the line from I have it to I have it backed up, right? Not because it's just Backblaze, although that's, I mean, that's the service I use. I think that's what Mike uses. So we're all kind of putting our faith in them. <laughs> but uh, Backblaze's service, just like, um, you know, Crash Plans or, or any of these others, is to provide you backup. Whereas when you upload something to YouTube, which of course is owned by Google, just like <laughs> it's Logspot, very volatile, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't feel like you, you, I, I don't know, like there's all these rumors I always hear, like these stories, whispers in dark corners about like, oh, Google just shut down my account for no reason, and surely there's always a reason, but even if they have a perfectly valid reason, you still don't want to lose all of your stuff, actually. Yeah, there is always a reason, but sometimes it's a stupid reason as uh, a lot of people <laughs> brigaded my channel and just flagged me like a like they get a community flag. Now, that's usually easily restored. Actually, any kind of shutdown of a YouTube channel is easily restored. They just don't want you to think that's easy. I, I just think that uh, this is becoming more uh, pervasive in online services in general and I never really considered it uh, the way this person had proposed it to me because I already know how to back stuff up, right? Like anything I have that's important is in a minimum of three places. Most of them are in four or more, two of which are offsite in different offsite places, right? Um, I, and th this is is tricky to me because... I put a tremendous amount of stock in Google, for example, and I have a lot of stuff, especially work stuff, because we're a Google Apps, uh, Google App business, I guess. You know, my employer uses Google Apps for all of our document sharing and all that email and everything. So, if Google just decided to shut that off, if they felt like I was violating their terms of service, like that would be substantial right like i don't have any i don't back up my work stuff i assume that like it is doing that but i don't think that they are <laughs> because that's not the point of using like google drive for everything right like if you use office 365 in your office uh and you have everything up on in like sharepoint and you you're using their document cloud their one business or one drive for business or whatever <laughs> shenanigans like you expect that you're paying money for that. You expect that to be your safe harbor. But if there's like a terms of service violation or whatever, and they delete everything, 
particularly if they do it automatically, like you're saying, like if a bunch of people flag you and then it gets taken down, you're kind of putting faith in their ability to right that wrong and be like, oh, no, no, we're sorry. That never should have been deleted. And then say either, okay, we're restoring it. So everything's fine. Or, uh, sorry, it was deleted erroneously and there's nothing we can do about it. And even then you probably already lost like one or two days and a lot of nerves. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, waking up to find I can't get into my Gmail account, like that would oh, that that's, that's absolute that's, nightmare. Yeah, that's giving me heart palpitations just thinking <laughs> about like, oh my god, I can't log into yeah. Google. I think it's in general, um I, I also I mean I basically put a lot of trust in Backblaze backing my stuff up because I don't have another backup of most of my stuff on another hard drive or something. Because usually people say have two on site and one off site. And I don't have that one. Um, and I usually place enough trust in them in that uh, when services like that shut down, um, I, I briefly used the service called Copy that was basically a Dropbox uh, competitor. And um, before they shut down, like two months in advance, they said, hey, uh, we're going to shut down, get all your stuff out here. Like they didn't just disappear from the face of the earth. So um, especially if with a with a service like Backplace where you pay for it, um, I'm assuming they just won't run away and the service is gone. Like they would give you a period of, hey, we are going to shut down. Um, get your stuff out of here. Uh, we're not reliable <laughs> anymore. So that's the basically the trust I put in them. Um, and I mean, yeah, as long as I don't keep another hard drive ready, uh, it's basically that's what I have to live with. Um, probably not the best decision. <laughs> so maybe I should invest in it. But as I said, like the, the really important stuff is usually backed up um, in a way that is, uh, as I said, the code lives somewhere. Um, my audio projects. Thing is, all of the stuff, if I lost it, is reproducible. Like, of course, it's going to cost a lot of time, but technically I could reproduce anything I made again because I still have the tools and the... Uh, uh, the software to do it. And uh, uh, actually recently, um, the story that I wanted to tell is that um, I accidentally deleted about half of my music projects uh, by accident. Like I, for some reason, I hit um, delete on my keyboard when I didn't want to. Don't ask me how. I, I assume it's the uh, the numpad was, was turned off and one of the keys doubles as uh, delete. And so basically all my stuff was gone and I didn't notice. And that's the worst part. I didn't notice until like two weeks later where I wanted to open some audio projects. Like, where's the project file? I know, I, I know the, uh, how I named it. I know where it should be. And then I noticed that, hey, wait, my uh, the projects of my EP that I just released is gone. Like, uh, it's, it's gone. And um, yeah, you, thankfully, you don't sound as cripplingly upset as I imagine someone in this position would have been. Yeah, that's the spoiler alert. Uh, I, f I got my stuff back. Um, so at that time I was freaking out a little, but I knew that I had Backblaze. But I didn't know when I deleted the stuff. I just knew it happened recently. And so with Backblaze, uh, I think you have the opportunity to get your stuff back reliably within like a 28 days period. So anything I deleted within the last 28 days, I still have that, like every version of that. And so since I deleted that stuff like 14 days prior, I 
I found the date where all of that stuff was still there. And if you like clicked on the next date in, in the calendar, it was all gone. So had I, had I noticed this two weeks later again, I wouldn't have gotten that stuff back probably. So um, <laughs> that's that I was really <laughs> on the edge there. <laughs> and from that, I learned to uh, not hit delete that often, but mostly uh, to, to check in there every once in a while. And yeah, I probably should get another option of backing stuff up or maybe upgrade. I think they, they probably have a plan where you can upgrade uh, or back up stuff a little bit more often or more reliable. But yeah, that, that was a close call. Yeah, I had, I mean, I've had to restore stuff from backups before, you know, like, oh, I deleted a photo or I can't find this document or something. But uh, the the closest thing I ever had to a scare like that was a uh, Git project I was working on. And I, I'm not a, a Git expert. Like I use it to do a lot of things, but Git is still kind of like arcane wizardry. And so I think that never changes. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> but I, I just like, I like Git destroy the universe dash dash. Yes, I'm serious. And I just completely <laughs> obliterated something. And fortunately it was a project that I had uh, stored in Dropbox and if you Google around, a lot of people will say like, you really don't want to rely on any Git stuff in Dropbox because you know, oh, Git, yeah. Git is actually like a directory of a billion things and Dropbox is constantly trying to sync all those micro changes. So it's people have had mixed results. I've had good results with it. That's how I was able to get my stuff back is I actually had to go into the Dropbox history because um, I don't pay for a GitHub account and this was something I didn't want to host uh, publicly on GitHub. So I, I didn't have it on GitHub. I was just using Git to manage it locally. And it, it was, I mean, like I, I, I have a visceral memory of the feeling of going into the Dropbox history, like two days after I thought all hope was lost <laughs> and then being like, Oh my God, it's there. That's where it is. Oh my God. Okay. 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 And then like I have to like extract the whole like dot Git folder, which uh, Dropbox doesn't really want to show you by default because it's a hidden folder. So yeah. I had to like go in and, and pull that out. And um, I don't uh, think a normal person is going to do what I just described. Like even if they're using Dropbox, they're not going to know how to like turn hidden folders on and off. They're not necessarily going to uh, have the luck that you and I had where they noticed something is missing before that kind of like 30-day rollover where they start deleting the backlog of stuff. Um, I'm like, I'm actually, I'm, I'm like working myself into a stretch just thinking about like, <laughs> oh, oh my God, is my stuff backed up? Is it safe? Oh, uh, when you go to, go to bed in an hour or so, you're going to have nightmares. Yeah, I got a whole Sunday opera. now to process all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, be tossing and turning. It's going to be like a bad movie. I'm going to be like, oh no, uh, backups. <laughs> and then like a, a rain shower of USB drives dropping on you. <laughs> yeah, right. So, and that, that's kind of the moral of the story is uh, your stuff is probably not as safe as you think. Um, yeah. If someone tells you that it's infinitely safe, that's probably not true, and you should maybe have at least three or four of those. And and the the more I was trying to unpack this, the 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 discussion I had with this colleague as well as this guy who lost all of his stuff, um, my 
kind of realization was the reason this is a tragedy, like when this guy lost all of his artwork and when, you know, like if you lose a video or music project or, you know, if I lose like some photos or something, the reason that that's a tragedy more than if like your house burns down is because it could have been avoided, right? Like there's no reason that if I have pictures of my children that they only need to be in Google Photos or in iCloud Photos or or on Dropbox or whatever. They can be in all of those places. They can be in a virtually unlimited number of places. So if my one and only copy becomes corrupted or gets lost or I violate the terms of service on Google so they shut down my account and all of my photos get deleted, it's it's a little bit on me that I didn't use the 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 medium correctly like this medium is one that can be copied indefinitely and stored in multiple places and then you can do syncs between some of them so that they stay automatically synced but then you also want copies that are not automatically synced so that if you make a change that you then later regret you can go back and say like oh here's things yeah i mean it's even just talking through it is tiring, right? This is a lot of yeah. <laughs> work to have all this stuff set up. But if it means avoiding the I lost all of these things that are important to me tragedy, I'd, I'd say it's probably worth it. Pro- you know, maybe, maybe probably worth it. The funny thing is that um, with this whole situation, um, we keep hammering into people that um, anything you put on the internet is permanent. Like, don't put anything on there that you wouldn't want to exist until the end of eternity. Um, and maybe that kind of feeling developed into, yeah, anything I put on this is stored there somewhere forever. So apparently I don't need to take care of it anymore in a different way. And that's where I guess you'd have to distinguish between what is an archive for me, like a backup services, and what is like something like a front-facing delivery service. Like YouTube is not an archive. YouTube is a service that shows people your stuff, just like Flickr is or DeviantArt or any of or SoundCloud or any of those platforms. Uh, they are not archives. And what people usually mean by what you put on the internet is going to be there forever is. Um, yeah, somewhere there is always a Google cache of something or just a a link, a direct link to some kind of file that's not embedded in some kind of website, but it's still on there somewhere. And if you don't want any private stuff on there to last forever, don't put it on there in the first place. But yeah, that's that's a delivery platform. That's not a backup service, an archival service. And that's like whenever and i would tell people like hey anything we put on there it's permanent like i'm going to try to distinguish between those two <laughs> this is permanent in the sense that you can always be embarrassed by it but, yes. you, but you may never be able to recover it that's a weird uh distinction to try and explain to a lay person and and i'm i'm thinking also you said you didn't uh you don't forever keep the source projects that create a piece of music or video right uh just just for the video for audio i keep them um because they are not as big and also half of so in a music project i would say about half of my stuff is recorded uh recorded audio like guitar parts or vocals and the rest is basically midi 
MIDI data that is sent through a software synthesizer and that takes up no space at all. So it's basically procedurally generated music and therefore <laughs> it doesn't take up any space. So if I make a song that's completely done in the box with no recorded audio, that file size is about like a megabyte. So that takes up no space. That's just all procedural. So uh, you, you have like audio? Yes. <laughs> I actually do like to put in some kind of random stuff. So every time I render it, it there's a little difference in the melody. Like I, I enjoy this kind of stuff, those happy accidents. Um, so yeah, with audio, that's not the problem. And with video, it's like, I don't need to have five hours of painting left when we've got the speed paint because we're not, we will not like release a Blu-ray uh, collection of all the speed paints in real time. That's not going to happen. Uh, we're not planning for that. <laughs> well, and it won't even be an option because you're not thinking ahead. <laughs> Maybe that's but, the error in our business plan. <laughs> yeah, right. But this this is a a distinction that makes it even more complicated because... Uh, I have used the Google Drive revision history to save my life more than once. I've used mm -hmm. uh, the the Dropbox revision history, which is not permanent, right? The the Google Drive history at least lives as long as the document lives. And you, from listening to bits and pieces and hearing you talk with Mike about music, um, I've kind of got the impression that you are a uh, you're a tinkerer, right? You like to go back yeah. and tweak stuff and. <laughs> But if you have only the published copy of something, right, like uh, when I mix flipping tables, for example, I keep the audio project for only a few weeks. And then once I know like, okay, what I uploaded was fine, nobody's complaining about anything we said or anything like that, then I actually delete those because I don't plan to ever remix or remaster that episode. Yeah, I do but the same with bits and pieces. Right, but by deleting that project, you know, for you deleting the the video project, like you, uh, you kind of throw away that option. And I'm basically, you mean I'm basically saying that this is now the final version, and it's going to stay that way. Yeah, which I guess does have a, a little bit of a an emotional finality <laughs> to it. You're like, no, this is done. I'm making it so I can't change it anymore. Um. Yeah, I mean, with pod, with the podcast, the thing is that um, it has this release cycle where the file that Mike uploads to our server, I deem that as the one that I would say 80% to 90% are going to get. And um, with my, my music stuff, it's a little bit different. I actually handle my music in a way like you would do with software. Um, so I, I publish most of my music on Bandcamp and every once in a while I actually update the files on there that I, I listen back to a song and I feel like, man, the bass is really uh, too loud in this part. I go back, remix that part, upload the file again. Sometimes I tell people like, hey, you might want to re-download the file if it's a drastic change that I made or... Sometimes I even add a complete section to a song. Uh, I just update the songs. And yeah, for that, obviously, I keep all of the stuff, all of the project files. With a podcast, it's like, nah, um, basically the file that I deliver the first time, that's the one that most people are going to get. And even then, I trust myself that I, if I had to make some kind of edit in a podcast, it's easy enough to edit stuff. Same thing with the video files of those speed pains. Um Whatever I would have to edit afterwards, even a year after that, I would trust myself to be able to pull it off, whatever I need to edit. Otherwise, it's something I wouldn't have missed in the first pass anyway. 
And with my music files, yeah, I, I usually keep the source. And even then, as I said, I trust myself to be able to reproduce it, even if it takes a lot of work. So it's I, I balance this of storage space versus in two years, will I be able to reproduce that synth sound again? And I just trust myself to be able to do it. Uh, <laughs> so far, it has worked out. Yeah, th- this is the backup uh oh man i can't remember where i originally heard this but it, it's kind of like a uh a rule of thumb like if you haven't tested your backup then it doesn't work so you know for you you have lost stuff and had to reclaim it so you you can assert pretty confidently that the system you have in place works for you but i mean you're a highly technical person i i'm I like to think of myself as a pretty technical person <laughs> and even I still kind of look at my stuff sometimes and I wonder like, is this, am I doing this? Okay. Is everything safe? <laughs> like we all, we good. Is the house going to burn down? And it's, uh, it's, it's nerve wracking. Like this entire topic, I've been like wringing my hands while we're talking. And like, <laughs> You're living just, in a house of cards of files. It, it, it is. It's, <laughs> I mean, there's there's lots of stuff that I would be wildly inconvenienced and very unhappy if I lost. But there's yeah. fortunately there's only a handful of things that I consider to be irreplaceable. Like this would be this would bring me lifelong sadness if I lost like the the pictures of my my children, right? Because I yeah. can never ever replace those. And there are other things that are irreplaceable, like if. You know, if this call dropped right now and my computer shut down and we lost the audio files, like this is irreplaceable, but not in the same way. Like we yeah. can, we can, it's reproducible. A, yeah. We can make like a simulacrum. Like we can't recover the conversation, <laughs> but we can like rehab it. I can't retake pictures of my children in the past. So that, you know, and then like financial documents, like anything that would cause like serious unrest in my life. Like, uh, you know, if I lost like mortgage paperwork or something that, that would be problematic. One example of a very, very important file that I keep in multiple places, although it's mostly used from Dropbox is my password database. Like if that thing is gone, I'm, yeah, I'm, S out of luck. I'm just that. I don't even want to think about that. Now I'm getting like, oh man. Um, so that thing lives in multiple places. I've got, I got it in my Dropbox, which means it's in the Dropbox. It's on the hard drive. It's on my laptop, which mirrors it. It's on my phone, which takes it from Dropbox. So uh, if my hard drive crashes, I still got it somewhere. If Dropbox suddenly vanishes, I still got it somewhere. And that's like one of the most important files on my computer, that uh, password database. Do you use one password? I use KeyPass. It's uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's not open source, but it's free, and there are free apps. Uh, one of them uh, does the the fingerprint activation on the phone, and that's like thank thank God that exists. <laughs> so often that I have to log in into stuff, and on the phone it's just so cumbersome, like switching apps, copying them, uh, copying that stuff, and it's like nah fingerprint all the way well the more annoying it is to enter a password the more incentivized you are to use a terrible password so usually yes but i've i'm disciplined in that regard um uh i on, on my on my laptop um and we're probably going to get into that soon is i use ubuntu and 
One of the reasons is that the Chrome OS needs you to sign in with your Google password. And my Google password is like a string of 16 random characters with all kinds of shenanigans in there. And it randomly switches to the uh, English keyboard because it's uh, actually, uh, it's import like the Chromebook is imported, but it's the, the sticker, they put stickers on the keyboard to make it a German keyboard, which means that half the time I don't know where those special characters are because they're in a very different place on a on an English keyboard, on a QWERTY keyboard. And so I don't like using the Chrome OS because I have to every time retype my password on a different keyboard. And that's just, but, but still, I'm not going to change that. I want that thing to be secure. Like that's one of the most important passwords I have. Yeah, I mean, I use one password, so I, I used to use KeePass. I mean, it's it's basically the exact same premise, but um, when I've tried to use a Chromebook or when I've tried to, uh, you know, log into whatever, like a, a streaming service on a PlayStation or something, you kind of sit back and you're like, do I really want to type this 45 <laughs> character random password using like a PlayStation controller? And it, it, it's the, 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 onus is completely on the companies, right? Like they need to make storing secure passwords super easy and retrieving them even easier for the right person so that uh, you're not disincentivized to to use them. Because otherwise you just, you know, baseball and Hunter 2 and pass 1, 2, 3, 4, everything, and then <laughs> it, it's not a good look. So you you kind of offhandly you, you secretly tipped me off to to something else that you have going on with your you have a Chromebook you're running Ubuntu, um, it's are you maybe messing with like some remote desktop solutions to to make that Chromebook <laughs> a little bit more useful because you can just install Ubuntu on a Chromebook but I understand that experience is uh, suboptimal so so how are you making your Chromebook a little bit more more useful. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I began making it use, more useful in general by like five minutes after I unpacked it, uh, back when I received it, I slapped Ubuntu on there. Um, that was my basically my goal from the beginning. Um, now the thing is that, uh, so the Chromebook I have is the uh, C720. Like that's a very popular Chromebook. That is, and, that is the Chromebook I have. <laughs> yes, and Mike has. And thing is for for just the chrome os and just being in chrome like it's fine everything now obviously a full ubuntu uh, installation is a little bit too much for the thing especially since it has very little ram um and even if you like uh, fiddle around with the swap capabilities and it's like let let me say like this if i open too many tabs in chrome and too many is usually around five this thing crashes it just freezes um <laughs> Now, I hear a lot of listeners say right now, why do you choose Ubuntu? Why not something more lightweight? And why go with Chrome, the thing that hawks your RAM more than anything else? <laughs> um, basically because I want to. Um, <laughs> Don't so tell I, me what I've to got, do. <laughs> I've gotten myself into a situation and I knew it before. And, and I would say 80% of the time it works. I know the limitations. Um, basically for everything else, I'm completely lightweight. I use this thing mostly... I'm I'm in the terminal for editing for for text editing coding. I use Vim. Um, basically, you can't get more bare bones than this. Uh, almost. Um, so Chrome is mostly the only factor on there, or the only software on there that's really hogging this thing. Um, 
But yeah, every once in a while I get this crash and I'm like, I, I should get a better laptop, but I'm not sure which one to get. I'm kind of in the market for a MacBook Pro, but I don't like this whole you can't prepare your own stuff thing that's going on with Apple. Um, I don't want to get a Windows laptop because I've only had bad experiences with Windows laptops ever. <laughs> I've never had one or used one or had to repair. I always have to deal with them when I have to fix them for other people. Um, so, and Linux is totally fine for the stuff I'm doing. And basically what I, uh, I, I read something somewhere on Reddit that sparked this idea of like, yeah, wait, you can set up like remote uh, Linux machines on Amazon AWS and cloud compute and Microsoft has their Azure service. Um, like all those cloud, not hosting services, but where you get a virtual machine why not take this and basically use it like remote into that thing and just use that as my computer so basically my chromebook is then just a terminal like in the old school days and it just remotes into this thing that's actually my machine and i did a little bit of research and um technically this works yes and i've tried <laughs> with all of these three platforms like luckily they all have trials um, that are like, hey, yes, just use this for 30 days, like basically no limitations. Um, the limitations that I did have is that the Ubuntu installation and like the crazy stuff they do with Unity and uh, graphics accelerated stuff, obviously that doesn't work on a VM that doesn't have a graphics card in it. So it won't work exactly like the Ubuntu installation does on my Chromebook. But I've gotten it to work pretty closely. Still, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of workarounds involved. Audio doesn't seem to work on the Chromebook. Like if I remote into it from my Windows machine, audio works, but not on the Chromebook. It's just, yeah, we're not there yet. Um, there is one service that I couldn't test because I uh, I know that I wouldn't want to stay with it, which is um, Amazon has a dedicated service called Workspaces, which does exactly what I want. Problem with that is, so with all the other services, you basically pay as you go. You pay for the uptime, the time the machine is running. Sometimes it's by the minute, sometimes it's in like 10 minute increments. And with this workspaces thing by Amazon, you pay for the full month, no matter how much you use it. And the thing is, I wouldn't be using it that much. It would be like around $33 uh, and that's if I bring my own Windows license or if I use a... Linux installation, but I think it's only doing Windows so far. Yeah, so um, I wouldn't want to pay for this if I know I'm like, if I add all the hours up that I would use it in the month, it's like, I don't know, 20 hours. And I don't want to pay $30 for those 20 hours because at that time I can buy a MacBook Pro and finance it. Like, <laughs> it's not that I don't have the money, it's just I want to have a, a very uh, affordable solution for this. And technically it's possible, but yeah, this this plan of paying for the whole month is just, yeah, um, that's still too much. If I could pay as I go, like I would be on that right away, right away. Yeah, there's a lot of services and things where that pricing, that like all you can eat pricing, it's like, no, I don't, can you just sell me what I'm going to eat? Not all yes, of the food yes. in the history of the world. Yeah. So this is, I'm, I'm, I'd actually never heard of this workspaces thing. This is, 
kind of an aggressive solution to the problem you have, which is like, hey, hey, we'll just host everything and you can even buy like access to Microsoft Office from us on your VM. <laughs> and it, it's not cheap. I mean, to so to do the mm-hmm. the value level of performance, which is uh, one virtual CPU, two gigs of memory and 10 gigs of storage. That's the one that's $25 a month. And then to add in access to like office and some other BS that no one actually wants is, is another $15 a month. So yeah. you're talking $40 a month just for this machine to exist. And as you say, if you could afford this, you could just buy like a nice laptop and be done with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing is just that obviously all of these solutions are really targeted towards businesses. So uh, you get a bunch of new employees instead of buying them a desktop. And like if you've got this um, bring your own device mentality, um, I guess it makes sense to say, hey, just remote into this thing from anywhere, from any device, and you always have all of your work stuff. And we can still like in the back end manage this stuff with updates and all of that. Um, I guess it makes sense. I've read testimonies of people who've completely switched to that, who are always on the go, and it makes sense for them. Um, so it was really just something to to toy around with to get around having to upgrade to a proper laptop, which I would really, yeah, I, I can really need that one. But as I said, I'm I'm just really torn on what laptop to get, and if I do get a MacBook, I I'm just not sure. And yeah, just. Playing around with this for thirty dollars a month—that's that's just too much. Yeah. Well, and, and you uh, you're doing your video editing and and music editing, I assume, on your desktop, right? Yeah, and that would stay that way. This would really just be able to to replace my laptop, on which I really just do mostly software development. And as I said, the the thing that really hawks my machine on there is just Chrome, which I don't want to give up. I just don't (laughs) want to give up, especially since sometimes I do web apps and I have to test that in Chrome because that's what's going to be used in. I can't test it in some weird uh, uh, open source browser that nobody's ever heard before. And then like, yep, it works. Layout looks good. And then I open it in Chrome. (laughs) looks completely different yeah well if you ever end up getting a mac everyone will say like oh safari gets so much better battery life it's like yeah but then you have to use safari so is it really yeah (laughs) is it really worth it no no it's not no Um, no. i'm wondering if the and so this is now about to turn into a uh, a support group for what laptop you should buy um if you're (laughs) happy with linux uh you might actually get the best bang for your buck by buying a high-powered Chromebook and then putting Ubuntu on that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about that. That's also another... Because the reason I went with a Chromebook in general was like, okay, I know there is no Windows license on there forced on me since I can get one anyway through my uh, college program. Um, And it's just lightweight. It's small. I know it's going to work somehow. And... um, yeah, maybe that that's the that's the way to go to just upgrade to a better Chromebook and then go with the Ubuntu route again. Um yeah, the reason I'm thinking about getting a MacBook is sometimes I am on the go and I do want to edit stuff like video or audio and that would be the sole reason. Like back in the day when I was still playing live shows, the MacBook would have been perfect because I was actually carrying around my desktop computer on stage to 
make music live uh, where other people would use their MacBook Pro because every musician some, for some reason <laughs> has a MacBook Pro on stage. Maybe some, sometimes even two or three. Uh, yeah, and I was always the outsider who brought his whole desktop. You, was it like a huge Hewlett Packard with like the, the gray yellow case? <laughs> no it it looked stylish it wasn't too big like uh, i always compared it when when people ask me why why would you carry around that why don't you get a laptop i always said like a proper guitar amp is bigger than that and heavier than that um i don't like there's no difference now i got a computer and i can do way more stuff with that than just a guitar amp um, I always like build out one of the hard drives on there, which ho- held my like I had two Windows installations and the one with my personal data. I always pull, pulled it out. So in case of a car crash or something and like physical damage, my data is safe and only the music data is gone. But that was also backed up. But yeah, I was for a brief time for like two the years I was carrying around my desktop to live gigs. That's uh, actually like super impressive. <laughs> That <laughs> you would manage to get all of that around with you all the time. Um, because I'm cheap and I don't want to get an extra <laughs> machine just for one purpose. No, I I wish sometimes in, in certain hobbies that I had that much discipline because it's really tempting to throw money at a problem instead of actually yes. like just <laughs> using what the you problem have. in yeah. another way. Um, but I, I had a similar... Uh, Chromebook remote desktop kind of let down. Uh, so uh, Susan of Eclectic Readers fame, my wife, um, she works uh, remotely. So she has to remote into uh, machines at her office to do her work. And before we had a Chromebook, which it's funny that you said Mike also has this Chromebook. The Chromebook I have is Mike's that I bought from him. Oh, okay. <laughs> When did you buy it? Because I remember him having that still when I visited him in March. Oh, yeah. It was like a month ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was recent. (laughs) Um, But I was very much hoping that I could install one of the remote desktop plugins into uh, the Chromebook and remote into her work machines. Ah, now I remember that story. Yeah, I think you you covered that when she was on the show a few months back. Yeah, and it it was like it failed in such an unspectacular, unceremonious. <laughs> just like I, I, as far as I know, I had all the correct information. It worked through the Windows Remote Desktop client, and I was using a client that is supposedly RDP compliant, and it would just be like, eh. I mean, no, like. No obvious error, nothing helpful. And because what we were trying to do was probably not considered supported by her IT staff, I was like, eh, like we yeah. we can push on this or I can just kind of leave it alone. And, and, you know, so we just left it alone. But I feel like the, the whole promise from the, what was it? I guess maybe the late nineties of like thin clients, like, oh, you have a, you just have a dumb <laughs> terminal and then you connect to a supercomputer somewhere. Even though we have all the resources finally to actually do that and and the network is usually good enough to make that a viable option, um, it still doesn't feel like a really viable option. Now, my plea to the listeners of uh, of Flipping Tables, because I couldn't ask this on bits and pieces. We got completely different listeners. (laughs) Um, uh, If you know of such a service or similar service that has lets me pay as i go i would 
really look into this. Like I'm, I'm still open to the idea, although now I've tried three different services and I wasn't really pleased all that much. Um, I would still look into it. Um, w one of the other reasons why I was looking into that is uh, I only really use my laptop anywhere where I definitely have Wi-Fi. I don't use it like on the train or anything. So I can live with the limitation of I can only access my stuff where there is internet because I usually only open that laptop when I have internet in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I have a regular Retina MacBook Pro, and if I open it and I don't have access to the internet, it's basically useless to me. So <laughs> having, you know, like a full uh, grown-up operating system doesn't necessarily yeah. save you from your commitment to the internet. Right, right now, as my my cable, my internet doesn't work, my desktop is basically useless if I wasn't recording this episode right now. Like, I'm looking at my desktop and I can't connect to anything. Yeah, this is uh, hopefully by the time people are hearing this, uh, everything sounds just hunky dory. But uh, this recording, speaking of the internet, has been absolutely <laughs> plagued with Skype crashes and my network being weird and your network being weird. And uh, for for yeah. anyone who doesn't listen to bits and pieces or who hasn't uh, listened to an episode of Flipping Tables, you were on. You're in Germany. I'm in the United States, so it's very very late where i am and very very early where you are <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Th this is and the conversation we're having is through skype on my phone <laughs> with my data plan which thankfully has an has enough megabytes on their left so i can do this otherwise i would say yeah let's record let's continue tomorrow when my internet is back it's just weird maybe i i have a suspicion that it's my modem is overheating because it's like in the hundreds up here i'm i'm living on the top floor um i think this thing is getting too hot and it's for some reason frying my internet connection but all of these products right skype whatever company made your modem all of these companies are still like no just buy a Chromebook and use the internet to connect everything and store all your stuff on Google Drive and it'll be safe forever. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be too heavy-handed about you know, tying these topics together, but it, it's still... There's still a lot of holes and frayed edges to the, the magical technological future we've we try and there's a lot of ambition in technology <laughs> and uh, a lot of hackery going on but we're really not there yet yeah i love it i wouldn't want to go without it but i have <laughs> I, I have i feel like i've mentioned this on the show before but w one of my few uh s like pet peeves that just sends me into like an irrational fit is uh like audio connection issues so if, and I don't mean just with Skype, but like if I'm on a, a, a phone call and, and I'm the person going like, Hey, can you put it, I just, can I, like <laughs> that, that drives me into like an insane panic. Like I just want to smash my phone on the ground and never speak to anyone ever again. And, uh, Skype is kind of making me want to punch a hole through my monitor, but it's, it's hanging on. <laughs> I know it's not entirely their fault. The network's also involved. I guess that's a good moment then to put a bow on it. <laughs> so before I, I kind of jump into the, the closing, um, you have like a million different amazing projects. Is there anything you would like to share with the Flipping Tables listeners that they maybe have not been exposed to before? I'm 
working on some new music that usually I release songs once I finish them and then retroactively like collect them on an EP or an album. So I always have stuff to release, but I'm falling back into just preparing a lot of stuff and releasing it all at once. Not sure when it's going to happen. It's going to happen this year. Um, it's going to have vocals again. I'm doing, I, I'm, I'm back to like a lot of my stuff recently in the last two years was instrumental. I'm, I'm getting back into this. Most, uh, the biggest problem though are lyrics, but we talked about this <laughs> in length on the Bits and Pieces podcast. So, uh, mostly that. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm involving myself a little bit more in Lars's YouTube channel. Uh, obviously he still does all the painting because I can't paint or draw but um i'm starting to do like reviews and maybe we're doing a live stream so i'm not on screen but i'm like doing more stuff and not just editing and uploading in the background you get to be a star now instead of just the man behind the curtain <laughs> actually it's very comfortable um not being in front of the camera when it's about youtube like i have no problems about it in general but knowing youtube if I have a chance to not be on camera, yes, I usually go with that. <laughs> Aren't you like a semi-professional performer? <laughs> yeah, as I said, I don't have problems with it in general. <laughs> it's just uh, YouTube culture. And uh, if there is a choice and I don't have to be on camera, I'm not on camera. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, YouTube is not exactly a, a big love fest. <laughs> no, no. All right, so you can find the show notes, which I will include uh, links to the Bits and Pieces podcast as well as uh, Matt's music and your YouTube channel. Is it your YouTube channel or is it technically Lars's? It's, it's completely Lars's. Okay. It's, uh, but li links to all of this stuff uh, as well as everything we talked about in the show can be found, as always, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 129 for episode 129. Uh, I love feedback, and I think I'm going to just go ahead and throw you under the bus and say you love feedback. The easiest way to get to me is on Twitter. I'm at Lines and Beta, and Matt, you are? At Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. Uh, we also, speaking of feedback, have rebooted our Reddit community. Um, we've been kind of uh, promoting it for the last, I don't know, half dozen episodes or so, and uh, uh, there's some good conversation happening in there, and that's really why we have these two different main channels, because Twitter's good for, you know, small, quick feedback, but uh, in the Reddit community, we've been able to have some back and forth conversations with some listeners. They can obviously also talk to each other more easily than they can on Twitter. Uh, so check that out as well. There's a link in the show notes, but it's just reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables. And uh, we post every episode there. So it gets its own little kind of, you know, discussion thread. Um, if you want to support us a little bit, you can subscribe. Uh, that makes it easier for you. And then if you go into iTunes, I know iTunes, but if you leave ratings and reviews in there, that actually helps it come up in search for other people faster. Uh, so it gets the show out in front of new people. And if you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can actually hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. Depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of this show or all of the sunrise robot shows. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, remote desktop Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. We love you all so much. We could not do this without you. See you next week.